you guys know I'm a massive fan of fighting. And the BKFC, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, is a relatively new promotion in the sport of fighting. But it's one that I've been uh, keeping a very close eye on since it began. I'm a huge fan of the sport, huge fan of the promotion. And I love the fighters that come through this promotion. One in particular is today's guest. We're going to hear more about his story leading up to the BKFC and what he's learned through fighting, the losses, the wins, and everything, life stories, and he, as he calls them, peaks and valleys. But he's going to share some very, very valuable information with us. And we get to learn a little bit more about the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship behind the scenes, um, what it's like to be a fighter and what he does and what's what's so exhilarating about the sport for him. So you guys don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with you guys today. Now, we are four and a half years running into this show, 91 different countries, 67,000 downloads, and we continue to grow. Excited to have you guys all here with us to listen to this episode today. Um, if you have not done so, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. It is free. We are bringing you guys free content. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite device, whether you have an iPhone, Android, if you're on an Apple device, it doesn't matter. Like my show's everywhere, YouTube, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much every single place you can get a podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to it. And one last thing, if you guys are on an Apple device, leave us a review. Now, I, I ask people to do that all the time. And the reason I ask for that is because the more reviews a show gets, the more exposure the show gets, meaning the more people our guests can reach with their message. And that is the reason I want to ask you guys to leave me a review if you haven't done so already um, so that we can get this out to more people and continue to grow the show organically. Now, for those who have been following me, if you haven't followed me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, I'm pretty active on all those platforms. Um, go, go and do so. But for those who have, you'll probably know, and those who've known me for my whole life, basically, know that I'm a former boxer. Um, I love I love the sport of fighting. I love any kind of combat sport for that matter. I've got a, a massive respect for for just any combat sport, but especially in, in the boxing world. And some people think that boxing is just this barbaric um you know, they just don't understand it until you get in the ring and you understand that there is an art to it. Uh, but it does take a different mental toughness, a different, uh, I guess, just a psychological level uh, to be able to compete in a sport where you're pretty much at risk every second that you're in there. And today I'm bringing on a professional fighter. His name's Chris Sorrow. And I've been following Chris for a minute now. It's kind of a weird, it sounds kind of creepy, but like um, ever since I started following the BKFC, um, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, I, I found Chris because I watched, a, I, I think it was his first fight in the BKFC. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And, and I started following these fighters that were in the BKFC, which we'll talk more about here in just a little bit. But I got to know a little bit more of his story just through his Instagram page, and I, I became super intrigued. So today we get to actually hear from Chris and hear your story. So Chris, first things first, man, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited. I, I, I'm a fan, so it's it's an honor to be on here. Oh, absolutely, brother. This is This is super cool for me. Now, before we get into the BKFC discussion, man, and, and for those who don't, well, you know what? We're going to hide that till the, till the end here. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit uh, about what, you know, the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship really is all about and what that, that's about. Talk to us about your 
history in sports and what got you into the sport of boxing? How long have you even been a fighter for? Uh, did you play any other sports growing up? Kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing before you got to, you know, now where you're you're currently fighting for the BKFC. Uh, but before this, let's just do a little rewind in time. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So I uh, I was never an athletic kid. I was I was kind of like what you'd consider a chunky kid. Um, and uh, but I always I lo- I had hoop dreams when I was a kid. Michael Jordan was my hero. I believed he could fly pretty much until MythBusters busted that man. <laughs> you know, but he was a big fan of mine. Mass like I uh, or I was a big fan of his because uh, you know I I believe that. He set the bar for how special, you know, athletes can really be. And um, and for me growing up, I always wished that I could be this athletic, fit kid. I knew it was inside of me. You know, I just had a big soft coat over the top of it. And uh, it messed with me. I didn't make the basketball team. And I would try so hard and all this stuff. So, you know, uh, pretty much after high school, I uh, I had um, – enlisted in the, in the Air Force, and, and uh, that whipped my butt into shape. But when I, I right before I enlisted, I found a gym up in Bangor, Maine, called Team Irish, ran by Marcus Davis, the Irish hand grenade. He was UFC welterweight, ranked eighth at, at the time in the world. And now uh, growing up, all my family's from Connecticut. So both grandfathers on both sides were Golden Glove boxers, one New York Golden Gloves, one New England. Uh, I had two uncles that were boxers, and and I always wanted to be a boxer always but where i'm from up in maine there's no boxing gym at all and so by the time i was 18 i found this mma gym in bangor and this was before mma was even legal in the in the state of maine like to be to train it to teach it it was so voodoo at the time this is 2008 2009 2008 and uh I, I, the second i walked into that gym it was the weirdest feeling because i had never got to play actual team sports like beyond the team i would play you know after school but after the first session that night, I felt like I found my call. Like, this is me. This is my home. This is where I felt like my puzzle piece fit. And growing up, it's like I dealt with a lot of things, you know, like teenage depression, things like that, because I felt like I couldn't fit anywhere, you know. And that for, for children is a hard feeling. Um, that That's a tough feeling, especially in this day and age, to not feel like you fit anywhere. And, and just at the beginning of the start of your adult life that can be dangerous, you know, detrimental to, to some people. So when I found this gym, it was like a, a, a blessing, like a gift from God, because I felt I never stopped, you know, I, I had enlisted, but I had six months before I had to, you know, take off for basic. And I was there every single day, open to close, first one there, last one to leave. And I lost like 55 pounds in that, in those six months. And it was the best. I've never stopped since after I got out of basic and I went to the Shepherd Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Kansas, found Travis Luter's gym in Fort Worth. I stayed right with it because it wasn't even about losing weight. It was what it was doing for me upstairs. It was, it was a, I can always say it was a blessing because it saved my life. And that was 14 years ago. And so, um, you know, the second I got back home to Maine, uh, the next day I was back in my gym training and, uh, and yeah, I mean, that, that's some of the backdrop of it, but pretty much the rest is history. Once I got home, I started training, you know, it's, it's a long story, but that's, that's the backdrop of it right there was, I was kind of a, always a strong athletic kid and I wanted to be a fighter, wanted to be a boxer. I'm a fighter at my core. Everyone in my family were fighters. And, um, you know, so bouncing isn't the best way to get into fighting. (laughs) (laughs) I did all that. So uh, I'm I'm very fortunate today where I'm at because now I'm also coaching and giving back to kids. Same exact boat I was in, some of these kids. 
and I can relate to them. If I had started coaching, you know, way back when, but now I know it's like exactly what, what I have to offer and how good it is for anybody, any age, but let alone kids. Um, to learn confidence at a young age, you can't put a price on that, you know? You, you know, that's interesting you mentioned that. Like, I'm sitting here, I, I, just for the listener's sake, I've never heard this story before. Like, I, I, I've, I've heard bits and pieces just from following you on Instagram, but I didn't know this background. And so it's kind of cool for me because I'm going back in my own head, Chris, like, as you're talking. Um, I, I found a boxing gym when I was 15. So when I was 15 years old is when I first got into a Golden Gloves gym here in Idaho. I didn't even know we had them in Idaho. Like, I'm like, what? Oh, we got a Golden Gloves gym. Okay, great. So I go in there, um, and through the next three and a half years, as I progressed in my fighting, um, I had very similar, like it, I always participated in team sports. I was, I was on the basketball team. I played football my whole life growing up, but for some reason, boxing, it, it brought me like those, like, it's great to be part of those sports, but I actually think that team sports at times, if you don't have the right coaching and the right, the proper experience, it can actually demoralize kids. Uh, it can destroy their confidence. Sometimes it can elevate and sometimes it can destroy their confidence. I wasn't on either one of those sides. I wasn't high up or high down. I was kind of just sitting in the middle, but I will tell you what boxing did for me. It, for, for one, it forces you to be like one-on-one. -on -one. Like, so any fighting sport, you're one-on-one, -on -one, but you do have to learn discipline because if you don't stay disciplined and listen to your coach, you end up with a busted face. Um, or if you're like me, you end up with a torn shoulder because your coach keeps telling you to put your arm back after you, I would throw my jab out and just hold it there. Cause that was my defense mechanism. I would throw a jab out and keep my arm out. And he kept telling me to put my yeah. arm back, told me over and over and over again. And finally some guy just swatted my arm down and that simple movement ripped my shoulder out. So like things like that happen, you have to learn discipline all this stuff. And I can tell you from the time I was 15 to the time I was 18 fighting for that, that amount of time at that gym, um, under different coaches and so forth, my confidence, when you mentioned confidence, like it, it was crazy. And I saw the same thing in other kids and other adults. Even like I saw guys coming out of prison, um, who'd come straight into the boxing gym, like days after just getting released from prison. Cause they literally have no idea of where to go in life. Um, and right. they come in there and at first, yeah, you're like, oh, you're a little apprehensive of working with them. You don't know what they're going to do. But if the ones who stay dedicated, all of a sudden yeah. they found themselves finding work to do. They found themselves in, yeah. in good relationships and taking care of their spouses. Uh, they had confidence that it wasn't this fake confidence that they had gotten in prison. It was real confidence that you could translate into real life. And, and I just I have a yeah. huge testimony of the sport of boxing, any kind of combat sport for that matter, any training, whether it be mixed martial arts, boxing, uh, jujitsu, whatever and on the confidence that it can give you. So anyway, that, that's, it just was like blowing all those memories back in my head. Now, when you yeah. were training before the air force and then right after, or sorry, before basic. And then right after you got done with basic, did you compete or were you just in there like to train and, and stay like I, mentally just training because I found the gym six months prior and a lot of, a lot of gyms, most places kids will start fighting after like three months, you know, at, at competing. And I was, I would, cause now after the last 14 years and being in gyms and seeing at what stage do most gyms and coaches allow kids to start competing? I was ready to go within a few months there, you know, but with me, it was, I'm such like a perfectionist that I just kept picking away. Like I didn't feel I was ready. I wanted to make sure that when I came out, I just started laying people out, you know, like I, I didn't want to, I, I'm weird with things like that. And so it was on me. Like, like when I decided to start competing, I didn't start until I was 23. Okay. I trained like I was I was it went from learning and it's like, all right, now we have the basics down. And I got all the way till I was the main sparring for all the pros in the gym. But it's like I had a son at the time. I just had my boy. You know, I had a full time job. I was learning how what true commitment if you want to be a professional. And I didn't want to start and then have to stop and restart again. Once I figured it out, I would learn from everyone else that I'd turn pro or win amateur 
on what to do, what not to do. And I just kept getting as good as possible just because I, I loved it. You know, and that's what tells me today, looking back on it, is that I'm truly passionate about the sport. Because I didn't just get into such rush into competing. I just needed to be there. I needed to be there every day putting in the work. And I just let nature take its course on when it was time to compete. So when I started competing, I, I was 23, 24. I was putting the hammer to some people, you know. Yeah. I was pro sparring, pro level pretty much. But you have to start in the amateur. So, yeah. Tell, tell me about that then. Okay, so you're 23, 24 years old when you finally get into uh, you know, a competitive bout, uh, a sanctioned bout, I guess, if you will. I don't know how to explain it, but just a, an official an official bout. A sanctioned um, bout, yeah. So you – okay. You were talking about training in an MMA facility um, when you first found the first MMA gym, but you're talking about you're training in boxing. You're competing in boxing, correct? Just so the listeners understand where we're yeah. at right here. Yes, because Marcus, as well as being ranked eighth in the world in UFC, he was a professional boxer when 17 and one before. So I, in knowing that, I knew, you know, like this is the guy to learn hands from right here. You know, oh, that's where yeah. I put the focus on. So when I decided to start competing, it was as a boxer. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So you're, I want to hear about your very first amateur bout. Um, as a boxer, when you finally got to compete, you said you laid the hammer down, but what was the first actual fight like for you? Um, when you, you know, put the headgear on, you're ready to rock and roll. Like, how was it for you? Did you, did you knock them out? How did you feel fine having been sparring with these professional level fighters for a couple of years? Yeah. So like I had said also before, we're all fighters in my family uh, and, uh, some of us did it the right way and some of us did it the wrong way. And so, you know, throughout from 20 to 23, I was a full-time bouncer in, in my small little town here. And it was as roadhouse as it gets and with grown ass men. And I was, I was just a young kid. And, uh, and so getting in there finally with all the training, all the years, finally, I, I, we had driven seven and a half hours from, from Ellsworth, Maine to Windsor, Vermont, where I fought this guy named Benton Jevitz, who was a Marine. And, uh, and he was tough and he had like three fights at the time. This was my first one. And, um, I, I was, I know they say, if you don't get nervous before a fight, you're either a liar or you're insane. And I'm neither. Um, I just have strong nerves. What I wouldn't call it scared before a fight. It's I get excited and some guys are throwing up and things like that. And they run to the bathroom right before they walk out. And I'm cool as cucumber because this is for me, life is difficult enough. This is like fun. This is exciting. I know, I know we're going to be good. There's medics there. There's, you know, health wise. So I was real calm. I was smiling. I couldn't wait. And when that bell went off, I wish I had footage of it. There used to be, I sprinted as fast as I could across that ring. And I threw a punch. So like I just was throwing punches so hard and fast. The wind was like making the guy spin around. And so I, I, it was uh, very explosive, exciting, uh, and um, no, we went to decision. The guy, it was my first fight was not an easy fight, and it was the most ed educating experience I probably had had, you know, ever up with all the training up until that point. Because after 30 seconds, I could barely breathe, and when you're in a fight and you can barely lift your arms, although it, you wouldn't have been able to tell until the third round. Um, you have to do some dig deep in some soul searching and, and, uh, that's the only way to learn. So the most honest moment two two men or women can share is really in a boxing ring. There's no team. There's no one you can blame anything on. There's it, every, all eyes are on you. You're stripped of all your masks that you wear in public, all your, anything you're stripped of it all. Now it's time to find out the truth. And, uh, and I found out a lot of truth in that first fight and I couldn't wait for the second one. Yeah, it was awesome. Man, that's it. That's really cool. And I, I want the listeners to know if you're just a casual fan, I see, I'm so glad you're sharing that, Chris, because 
when I had friends of mine come to like watch one of my local fights, which ended up being my last fight. I was 18 years old. I was, we were, I was fighting for Boise state university. We actually had a club team at the time, but it was under the golden gloves gym that we were training at. And we were fighting for what we called the, the Bronco belt. Um, and I was 185 pounds. The dude was 205, but in amateur boxing, you could be within 16 pounds of each other. And that's how they kind of worked it here in Idaho, at least. And, um, I, they upped my weight to 195. It was kind of sketchy, but it was what it was. The guy was 28 years yeah. old. I was 18. That's just how boxing is. That's how fighting is. You go, it doesn't, you don't have age. You go in and you fight. And, uh, yeah. and it was crazy. Cause people are like, it was three rounds. And I remember getting my head just smashed. And it was the worst fight I've ever actually had ever. Um, I was getting blasted. Um, I never been knocked out, but I was pretty close. Like I got, I got a standing eight count. Uh, he got me in the corner and I could, but everyone's like, keep your hands up, do this. And they're yelling at me. I'm like, you have no clue what it's like after one round to be completely winded. My legs were gone because I got kind of yep. wobbled. And so my legs were gone. My arms were tired. So everything you're saying right there, I'm sitting there going in my head. I'm like, see that people just don't understand it, but that's where the true test yeah. comes out. I had to move my head, which was causing yeah. me to lose my breath even more. I couldn't get my rhythmic breathing. Right. My nose was bleeding. So I'm breathing out my mouth, which is dangerous enough as it is. Cause if you're leaving your jaw open, right. all these little things. And uh, but what did you learn from that? You learned that you don't quit when your legs get tired. You don't quit when your arms get tired. And was there any other walk of life you had prior to that, that you had a test of that magnitude? No. So that's the thing. And 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 then later on in life, you know, let's fast forward seven years in my life. I went through a divorce, you know, and this was seven years after I had that fight. And I remember go, I've, I've multiple times referenced that one fight because of the things that yeah. you had to go through. Like, dude, you honestly think you can't do anything. You'll figure out a way. Like when my knees were buckling, I figured yes. out how to straight. I, I went straight legged and leaned on my back foot until I could get my legs under me. And then I was yeah. able to move. That's you figure yeah. out a way to get through things. Right. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. So yep. Chris, it's, that's a story it's awesome to hear that. It's good for me to hear that because I try giving those testimonies to my students. So get to hear hear it from somebody else. It's awesome, dude. Yeah. I I love this conversation, man. So so Chris, <laughs> how many how many amateur bouts did you have before you decided to make the jump to the professional level? Yeah, not many. Seven and one because okay. where I'm from up here, I mean, uh, Marx's gym ended up closing. It turned into he left, so it turned into just MMA, more even grappling and. And I had to travel for every fight. You know, I had to travel down to uh, Cugno's gym in Lewiston, but mo mostly like Gleason's gym in New York City. That's a drive from Ellsworth, Maine. But so every, some of these gyms, you can fight twice in a weekend. You know, you grow up in the city. But I had to, as an adult, find gyms, reach out to them, drive to them, train just to get one more amateur fight on my record. So seven and one was what I was, man what I had managed to uh, accumulate in, uh, you know, in a, a good, good, in a, di uh, how long was I amateur for since two, uh, for about five years, you know, it's, okay. it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't it maybe like two in a year, but yeah, it was, I was figuring out if I wanted to continue as a professional or I just wanted to win my golden gloves. That was my goal. And so I, I trained like a professional that whole time. I was in the gym all the time, but when I would choose to take fights was at my own pace at my own rate. So I didn't have a lot before I turned pro. I got thrown from the kiddie pool into the deep end real quick with BKFC, which I like. I like that kind of challenge. No, I, I love that. So, so just talking about that and, and for those who don't understand amateur boxing too, like, like you were talking about, and I appreciated that your travel times, like this is kind of like minor league baseball, if you will. I try to liken it to that. Like you have to travel some, it's not, you're not getting paid. So like you have to figure out a way to nope. transfer, like transportation. Sometimes you go travel six, seven hours, uh, so yes. for us in Idaho, there's, it's very common to travel three or four hours, uh, to another city here in Idaho and then travel fight 
and then come right back. And some of those um, events are outdoor and it's hot and you're yep. exhausted and people don't realize like a three round bout, even in the amateurs, two minute rounds, sometimes you're dead in six minutes. Like if people don't get yeah. that, like in boxing four rounds, even like you're, you're just trashed. So then you have to drive right back. It's a, it's a sacrifice. So amateur yeah. fighting, it teaches you a lot about just the sport itself now um, and just life in general, but going into the, the professional level, when you decided to become a professional before the BKFC, did you have any professional boxing matches before BKFC or what was the, the transition here going from I, amateur I, uh, boxing to that? Yeah, I had had, um, you know, we, we, we won't get into it much right now on the show, but I, I, I had had a traumatizing experience pretty much dealing with a loss in my life. And, um, I decided to turn pro then that's when I went, I went, yeah, I can't even talk about it. Um, I went all in and because I didn't have a choice, really. I had uh, I had no choice. I, I was so burnt with life at that moment. And it was so upsetting that I four days later, I made a phone call to a promoter and um, I said, I'm going pro. And not because it was some fun idea as much. It was a dream I always had. And life had just taken a turn for, for you know, the worst at that moment. And I needed to. Uh, <clears throat> needed to rejuvenate some hope in myself. And I was like, well, the only way I can think to do that is to go everything you've ever dreamed about, just go for it now and, you know, and take it from there. And so I, I, they, they go, yeah, we'll give you a pro fight. And they gave me this guy, Ras Hilton, who um, had 11 pro fights at that time. He had just got done fighting Jorgen DeCastro, UFC heavyweight uh, for the cruiserweight strap. And I said, bring it on. Cause it didn't matter who they gave me. It was a yes. And I knocked him out with a walk-off punch, first punch knockout, laid him out cold, flat in my debut. And I got signed to the promotion that, because that knockout went viral. No one knew who I was. I was an amateur boxer that had, you know, little experience. And they brought me in, co-main event, biggest biggest show in New England that night. And, and uh, it's a very brutal knockout. Um, and it was a, there was a lot behind that punch. There's a lot behind that punch, not just power. There was a lot behind that and going into that whole fight, the way I trained for it. And um, it got each step got me through what I was going through my personal life. And that's what I needed at that time. Um, I needed something like that because I was not in a good space. And, um, you know, now grass, he almost retired. He did retire after that. It was it was embarrassing for him. Um, his family, his kids having to see that knockout and every highlight room, all this stuff. And his wife reached out to me and she was like, you know, can you call my husband? He hasn't gotten out of bed in like a week. And I was a fan of Rass's. You know, I was going to say yes to anybody. But I, when they said Rass, I especially said yes because I'd watched every one of his fights. I was just a personal fan. I wasn't even in the MMA. I was, this was an MMA fight, too. It was the only pro fight I could take. I was like, I'm done. I'm down. And uh, I told him, I go, I, the last thing I wanted was to fight someone I'm a fan of. And then they never fight again, doing the thing that we both love because of what I did to them. And so he, I talked him out of bed, and he came all the way up, started training with me. He got a knockout on his comeback fight, got signed to Bellator, won his debut against the top 10 guys. So now he's doing great. And, and so it's kind of changed both of our lives. Sometimes a loss is the most valuable thing in the world, the best thing that could happen to you. It's been the best thing that's happened to me in my career, any losses I've had. So, um yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. This whole thing's been a movie, man. It's been a, you can make a movie from the beginning to end, you know, and, and it's still going. So that's crazy, man. And then I think I've seen the clip. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was on your Instagram page. You had posted a clip of a, maybe it's a little mini documentary that you you're doing or have done, 
Um, maybe they, that's they where it's on. Yeah. yeah, there was somebody who did it, and, and you were talking about that or something. I'm pretty positive that's what I saw because, yes. yeah, it was a really, really quick one-hitter-quitter type of deal and um, pretty solid. So if that's the same clip, I'm going to encourage everybody to go follow your Instagram page because that's where I saw it was that clip. Now, if there's a different place yeah. that, that's posted, that documentary's posted, then let us know. But if that's where I saw yeah, it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. If you just type in my name, Chris Sorrow, I believe it's like the first video I believe that comes up is the Rash Hilton fight. And then the second one is that documentary where they explain it a little more. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But my Instagram page is at uh, Chris Golden Gloves. At Chris Golden Gloves. And, you know, I encourage people to go just for fun because I, I keep it real. I don't filter myself. It, you know, like uh, I don't have a dirty mouth, things like that. But I don't hold anything back. If I feel I need to share something from the heart, that's what it is. It's from the heart. And a lot of that's through my Instagram page, you know? So if you're a fan of combat sports, it's worth checking out. For sure. I, I would recommend it. I would recommend it. But yeah, if you want to check out the, the fights and the documentary, um, yeah, again, go, go uh, YouTube it too. You can find that really quickly there. Yeah. Uh, see Chris's stuff. So, Going into the BKFC, so this is a promotion that not a lot of people even were really familiar about, um, and it's taken a lot of flack for no reason, in my opinion. Like, if you're a true fan of combat sports, um, when when the guy comes out and talks about BKFC, I thought it was a fantastic idea. I was like, yes, like if we can get more states to sanction this, I would love this. This is fantastic. And then you had like the Dana White conflict with with him, and and everything is going down. There's a lot of political crap and. It's not the UFC. Well, it's not meant to be the UFC. Like I kept, I kept talking about this on my show too, and even on my my pages. I'm like, it's not meant to be the UFC. It's the BKFC. It's a different type of a sport. So why can't we all just have our own like love for the sport? And is the very first promotion I watched in the BKFC, Chris, I was hooked. I was like, they were trying to like. Some people were like, well, these are fighters nobody knows about. I'm like, that doesn't matter. Like this is the cool thing is, is that we're getting to know them. Like it's not supposed to be the UFC. That's what it's not what it is. It's not owned by ESPN who's got a you know 700 million dollar contract with the that's not what it is it's the BKFC it's its own promotion and it's doing quite well but now I get to talk to a fighter which is this is the first time I've ever spoken to somebody who's actually competed in this this is bare knuckle fighting okay talk to us about your first I guess it, uh your, your first experience in the BKFC and the differences between that I, I'm curious as a former boxer the difference I mean you're 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 not even fighting with four ounce gloves like mixed martial arts does. You're fighting with like basically nothing besides like your hands are wrapped for the most part. It's bare knuckle. So like talk yeah. to us about the intricacies of the sport compared to normal boxing for you. Yeah. I got goosebumps. You just asking the question. That's how exciting it is, man. <laughs> it's, it's the most exciting feeling in the world. And I've competed in MMA in boxing and now bare knuckle. And there's no comparison. The, um, my first experience with, with BKFC is I fought on BKFC 9. I fought a guy named John McAllister, who, who, who was a great person. It just was not his night that night. And uh, it didn't matter who it was that night. It was not going to be their night that night. It was I felt in the deepest of my core that there's no reason why I should have beaten Rass like I did, but I did. It was statistically, it doesn't happen. If you looked at my stats, his stats, and it doesn't happen. There was a reason for that. There was a reason for me taking that fight during a time that no one would be taking a fight or competing. Um, and so when I was traveling to Biloxi, Mississippi for this event, there was no, I'm a, I'm a, I believe in God. I'm a spiritual, spiritual person. There was no part of me that believed there was, it was not going to, this was meant to be. And that's a powerful feeling to have. Nobody can touch you when you feel that way. You're untouchable is the bottom line. So, you know, I, I, uh, I had, you know, 
my Randy Sinclair is in the corner for every one of my fights. Pretty much just me and him standing there watching every fight. You know, we were number six or seven. You know, we watched every guy come out one way, walk the ramp, and they walk back, head straight to the emergency room to get their faces put back together and their hands and their bones. And, and I stood there getting more excited by the minute because that's – it's the closest thing to – I don't like this. I don't know what the proper word is. I don't like saying death, but it's the most real, honest feeling ever. And and I thought I felt that in competing and boxing and MMA, but this is different. This is bone on bone. It's a different kind of primal apex feeling. When you're for me, when I walk out, when you see me walk out, I'm I feel like Leonidas in 300. But it takes over me. This thing takes over, and that's real. That's me walking out to do some serious stuff, and um. When we came out there, I mean, you, if you watch my fight, it's on YouTube and all that and on the app, BKFC TV app. That's a pretty real moment. You know, I broke so many bones in his face with one punch. His eyeball sits a half inch lower in his skull to this day. And that was just from the one punch, the one right hand I landed on in a minute and 30 into the first round and the fight was over. And so now it's, you know, that's my second pro fight ever. And I only had eight amateur fights, you know, on the New England circuit. And uh, now that because of how my pro debut went against Rass and now my debut in BKFC, you have no choice. You're thrown into now you're fighting guys that are UFC vets with 20 years experience and you have no choice. you got to adapt real quick. And that's kind of hard to do when you don't have 20 years experience as a pro. Like, you know, so it was exhilarating. It was the most you hear my mom screaming. If you watch the fight, you'll hear a lady screaming, and it's my mom. She's just screaming the whole time, and then I put them down, and she's screaming. You know, my mom's pretty much there for every one of my fights, and you'll hear her for, for every one of them. Uh, but to have my family ringside for that and the people dearest to me right at my back, um, you can't, there's no real words to truly describe it, um, but the best I can say is it was, you know, it was – one of the highest highs you could possibly feel. I was sick the next day from like an adrenaline hangover because I peaked out. You don't go any higher. I was floating around the rest of the night. It was, it was cool, man. Very, very grateful to that promotion because they took a chance with a guy. They knew I didn't have much experience. Dave Feldman knew he's a former boxer, but he must, it sounds like he saw or heard something in me where he was like, I want to give this guy a shot. And uh, he's glad he did because we're going on to our fifth fight now, fifth bare knuckle fight. That that's longer than most people will ever you know have. Yeah, that is so cool to me to hear that. Um, just hearing it from the insider scoop, you know, like the emotions behind it. Did you feel that um, that the, that the promotion itself, as being part of it, did you feel it was well produced, like it was a professional? Um, oh like yeah, felt professionally organized because there's like this knock for some reason because it's a quote unquote smaller promotion. It's not. It's growing. Very Forbes fast. has it growing at eight times the UFC's rate at this stage in their game. We're growing at eight times the speed right now. I mean, we just sold over a million pay per views for Knucklemania. That's a pretty big deal. Um, so it's it really comes down to casual fans yep. that that make certain comments and then it it, it it distorts the vision of people that you know like me and you that are way more than a casual thing but will hear something or read something you know in an article maybe and uh and not realize who it's coming from because there's a, many different perspectives on the on the sport but i tell you what they're changing really quick because we're going nothing but up the the production's unbelievable it was it was a big step up coming from a regional scene um to pay-per-view where you come out and my name's on the jumbotron and smoke and my music and 
And I love it all. None of it makes me nervous, scared. It's like, I need to make myself nervous before a fight because I deal with, I have have strong nerves and it ends up working against me. I come out thinking I'm going to, and you're going to evaporate. You know, (laughs) like my brain, I got to actually make myself be nervous so I have more respect for my opponent's abilities. That's backwards. Yeah. I think it's cool that you have that though. There's like in sports in general, that's what our coaches used to always try to teach us. Um, but I think fighting, it's one of those things because a lot of guys get nervous and they talk about it being the exact same energy, but some, some people use it as anxiety. Like they, they channel it in a different field. And so like it causes them to lock up and they don't perform to their best, but it's the same energy. So some people are, they're trying to train athletes to do what you do is like, use that for the better, like be excited, use it as exciting energy. So right. yeah, uh, exactly. it's cool yeah. that you have that. I think, I think that's phenomenal. Now here's my other question here in, in regards to BKFC. It's a circular. Um, if you, it's a circle, if you will, like, it's not like a, a boxing circle. ring circle. Yeah. Um, you tow the line. Like that's, there's a couple different things that are just from traditional boxing to that, but like that's basically, it's a circle and then you go and you're bare knuckle and, um, and then you can clinch the head a little bit too. There's some Muay Thai, um, it, it included one with, the other. you can't do two okay one one hand okay so you yeah. you do that and do some uppercuts and such i want to know like from your perspective just having trained in traditional boxing for so long like it seems to me and i wanted to know for the listeners as well do you utilize a lot of strategy or is it more so like just get some power shots in because the rounds are shorter um and there's not a lot of like work the jab it doesn't seem like there's a ton of like jab work and then a pop like setting up punches it's a lot of yeah. like get in there and lay some haymakers but i'm wondering from your perspective what what your thoughts are as a fighter well, in my first three pro fights, even though they went just about a minute or a little over a minute, it was the first right hand I landed, it was over. And so no matter what strategies, tactics, anything that coaches outside, you know, puts on me or mentions, my brain tells me when you touch someone with your right hand, they're going down. No matter what I believe or anything else, it's like in my core, I, I, that's all I had to go by was in these last three situations, the second I put one on you, fight's over. And so I believe that truly in my core um, that the second I touch it, it's going to be done. But in bare knuckle, what we're all, what I figured out right after my first fight, because the first right hand I landed on McAllister, he had to go to the hospital. And so going into my second fight, and they say it as I'm walking out, they're like, you know, sorrow learned something that a lot of us, it took a while to learn, was it's about who gets the first one first. So in boxing, you, you take time to establish your jab. You know, that's your range. Once you establish your jab, you can piece them up. You know, in MMA, there's a million that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're feeling them out. You're faking them, seeing are they a ground guy? Are they going to shoot and take you? What, do they want to keep it standing? In bare knuckle, if you start taking time to do any of that and someone who has half of the experience of you just happens to put one on you, well, fight's over so it's about who gets to who first really and and so it call it calls for some interesting fights because you get guys that have 30 40 50 60 pro fights like my second opponent it was his 59th pro fight all together between all uh, muay thai boxing and mma i was his 59th it was my third pro fight and it was my 10th in total with amateurs and his 59th and the first right hand i landed Dunsky. So uh, it, it's we're still figuring it out, man. We're still figuring out the tactics and the strategies. And it, when it is such a dangerous sport where you don't want to get starched by someone like Victor did from me, you know, he happened to talk a lot of trash before that, which didn't help his case any. And then you get put out by someone who's got, you know, who only had two pro fights prior to his. 
Um, you, it, it calls for a different kind of strategy. And we're still figuring out the best way. Because you don't want to just come out running trying to get that first one. You have to be tactical. But it's you, you want to make sure everything you throw counts. Everything you do counts. Every second in there, for sure. Talk to us about your hands, too. Like, how do they feel afterwards? A lot of people will show their hands and bare knuckle, like how swollen the knuckles are. So have you had yeah. any injuries to your hands? Or do you actually feel good afterwards? Some people yeah. feel like, fine, bone on bone doesn't actually affect them if they punch correctly. So tell me about your hands. I think, you know, a lot comes down to genetics. I broke my – my hand's been broken 14 times. I don't know oh if you can – Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And uh, they call it the, the six knuckle. But I, I have two steel rods that hold my whole hand together from a metacarpal break. I've broken it so many times that ever since those two steel rods went in there, this thing, like, doesn't break, you know. And so I don't know if it's genetics, if I got strong bones all of a sudden, if all the breaks, so much calcium deposited that now this thing's like concrete. But I'm, like, the only one. Every fight I'm back, I'm back. They're all my friends. I'm friends with, like, everyone in this in this promotion everyone breaks their freaking hands or have these weird knots and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm special. I expect it every time, but I think I've had little minor fractures or, you know, a little swelling, but I've never had taken a broken hand in this thing. If you hit correctly, that's the other thing in boxing and MMA or anything, a super clean knockout. You don't feel in the streets. Anytime I, it was super clean where I didn't like, Hey, what happened? Did I hit him? It, it, it feels like you hit air. That's the best knockout. And so if, if you're landing your punches when you're supposed to be and landing them correctly, you shouldn't break anything. You should, it should break them. You should, it, it should feel like nothing. And so a lot of these breaks are coming from people just going wild, hitting from weird angles. I also train the punches that we throw. I mean, we don't branch beyond a, a jab. You know, I don't want to give it all away, but the punches that I train, um, I'm not when I'm out there. I'm throwing deep punches that I hit the heavy that I condition my knuckles for all like all year round. We don't branch out of that, so my hand is conditioned to land certain punches a certain way, and I don't branch away from that. You know, I've so. actually noticed that about you, Chris. That's it, it's so weird because like as you're talking, I'm like shit, dude. I've actually noticed that while you were training and just kind of like you know jabs and straights and just you know typical you know, one two threes and, and some uppercuts too. I've actually just as as a as a side note, for those who you know follow me, I do still train. Like I train on the heavy bag, the speed bag, and the double-ended bags and stuff, and I still do a lot of that. Um, I actually started incorporating some of the bag work that I saw you doing in one of your gyms and your and and throwing uppercuts. Even though I don't have an, uh, a water bag or whatever to, to yeah. do some uppercuts on, I still throw my uppercuts even when I'm hitting the when I'm hitting the, yeah. the bag, so I can still like get the angle correctly while I'm doing it. And um, yep. I've noticed that. Like, it, and people always ask me too because. I have like some massive knuckles, a lot of scar tissue on my knuckles, but my, if you hit properly, I was, that's why I was wondering, like you shouldn't feel it. Like it's, and unless you hit with the other knuckles, you get the boxers fractured down your arm, but like, yeah. it's cool to see that you're doing that. And I noticed that like your yeah. form is actually fantastic. Your form is like that yeah. of a, like a, what a boxer should be. If, if, if I'm a younger kid and I'm looking at someone to like, you know, if I want to try to like resemble that, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to replicate some, I'm going to be looking at your form and the way that you bounce back and the way that you, you throw yeah, out your punches. Yeah. That is how you should be doing it. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And uh, here's what you mentioned earlier. You said, you know, losses can teach you a lot. So this is yeah. where, the, you know, people like to hear about the wins. Like, this is exciting. Hearing about your experience in there and laying some some big punches, hitting them first. You know, dude's yeah. eye goes down half an inch down his face. Like, I mean, some people think it's barbaric, but that's just the, that's the reality of the sport. And it's, it's a kind of a, an excitement. And honestly, I bet your opponent 
you know, as brutal as that is, they might like that. Some guys like getting hit. You know, it sucks at the time you lose and it's it's brutal. You got to go get it fixed and all this stuff. But like, it's part of the sport and some people like it. I People used to hate that I would say, I love getting punched. Like when we came back from a two month break in the summer and we get back to sparring when we came back to our gym, because our gym would always take a two month break in the middle mm-hmm. of the summer. So training all year. And we got into our first sparring match. And I remember getting popped good. Like I, get, I got a clean right hand straight to the face. And I remember th- sitting there and being like, Yes, I just love the feeling. I don't know. It's just a weird feel. Like you just you're not dead. It's alive. You're <laughs> alive. You know, our lives are des- they're designed to be clouded and and masked and friggin' uh, it's like life, normal life is designed to be a distraction from the things that were really our our primal, our hunting and gathering, our the stuff that we were on this earth doing millions of years or whatever you believe before social media and all these freaking distractions and things that distract us from what we're supposed to be paying attention to inside and around us, our families. When you get punched in the face, it brings you right back to the surface. Like, all right, I am alive. My senses are going. And and so some of the happiest people that I see are doctors, lawyers, you know, uh, ladies that have, you know, stressful freaking jobs and families at home. They come to my gym. Not that I, punch any of them but just throwing and, and then with partners of them sparring and them getting hit you can see it in them i've never let had someone leave my gym or my class not happier than or more elevated than they were before they came in and, and blood dripping down their nose and sweat and and like you know dirty dirtied up and roughed up and sore and they're the happiest they've ever been because they're right back to the surface they're okay they're they they go home and they spend the night with their family and not on their phone. And, you know, family, you know, they instantly, it brings you back to what we're supposed to be doing. It knocks some sense into you, so to say. And so, yeah, you know, I'm not uh, like someone like McAllister, not particularly happy that he got, you know, took the damage that he did. But I tell you what, I stood backstage while the medics were checking him out, stood with his six-year-old boy, which brings, brings it to reality. That's looking at his dad. And John's nothing but smiles. And I tell his son, I go, you know, your dad's the toughest dude I've ever shared the ring with. The second he got cut and started bleeding, he said, bring it on. And his six-year-old boy looked up with the biggest smile on his face. Like, you know, it brought brought some light to a kind of a dark, dark moment. But yeah, you know, that's what we, we, we live for. A lot of us, you know, we're genuine people. And I don't like all the filters and distractions out there. So for me, now I have a lot of sparring up here. So I got to hit myself. But no, but... For me, it's the best feeling in the world, you know, and, and a lot of good comes from it. So, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And and go into the the losses conversation real quick because you've had some success, and then you've you've had some some losses. Um, and you yeah. talked about how you can learn a lot from the losses. You know, you've taken some big shots. Your last fight, even like you, it, things can be going good in the sport, and this is life in general. Things can be going great, and you can get yeah. caught. Um, and sometimes that happens life. You get caught, yeah. you have the best job in the world. All of a sudden you get laid off because you work for a corporation yeah. that does layoff. Uh, everybody can go through it. I went through a divorce unexpected. Like you can get caught. Talk, talk to us about the losses. Um, yeah. and, and what that has taught you and what we can expect to see from Chris sorrow moving forward, um, in your fighting career. Yeah. So no one likes to lose. And I hadn't lost a fight, and I only lost one of the amateurs by points. So technically, it didn't feel like a loss to me. We, we got fight of the night. So technically, I'd never lost a fight in the streets, in the ring, in in my life. And um, seven years competitive without a loss. And I knew it was going to come at some point because it's too unrealistic. Not that not anything anything can happen, but I, I know this sport enough to know that 
at some point I was going to have to take a spanking or two. And uh, because I got thrown into with these high level pros coming from a just I had no real experience. You know, I did, but not not fighting, live fighting experience on pay-per-view, on the big stage and all that and everything that comes with it. It's not just fighting. I have to. I, there's so much to our lives that we have to do sponsorships and managers and people trying to screw you over. And there's, there's so much I wasn't ready for and you don't ha I didn't have time. You know, I turned pro a little over two years ago. <laughs> and so I knew it was going to come. And when it came, it, it's, it's dark, man, because public humility on a, on a, on a level when you're dealing with millions and millions of people are watching you uh, take a whooping it's a hard pill to swallow when you're a prideful person like me, it's a real hard pill to swallow. Um, but if I had a million bucks and then you said, give me a million dollars, I'll turn those losses to wins. I, I would turn, I wouldn't take a, I, you know, it wouldn't be worth a, anything to me. That's the most valuable thing that I ever could have done was, was lose my last two fights. Um, I'm not losing the third one, but those two losses, they put me into a dark, dark, dark place. And you're going to hear it here because I've yet to do an interview on any of them. Um, a lot of fighters don't make it through that. The, the You'll read about them the next day. It's a, it's a dark road, um, but it taught it. You learn so much. If you make it through there and you stay positive through it and you, you stay optimistic um, and you come through the other side, it's the most educating experience that you could possibly have. Because one, you're, you're fine. You still have your health. You have to learn things about dignity and, and pride and ego deflation. And, and you, you, you learn how much weight you put into people's opinions and how much weight you shouldn't put into people's opinions and what actually matters, what doesn't matter. That's all stuff that you don't learn with a win. With a win, you're not doing much learning because your brain's telling you, we just did everything right. We don't need to assess. We can keep it. You just keep moving on the roller coaster wave after wave. When you lose, you either don't make it through that or you or you think you made it through and you're still, you know, you go out and you didn't learn your lesson or you take time to feel that pain and, and you know, analyze it any way that you need to and, and come out the other end. Um, it's the most, it's the hardest thing. Uh, for an athlete to go through, um, but it's the most rewarding thing, especially if you have a lot of good people in your corner. I got guys like Bobo Bannon, um, Zach Kelmes, and now Josh Burns, who handed me my first ever professional loss, which was the most hard, embarrassing thing that I could have gone through. And that guy, we hated each other. I'm telling you, the antics and the animosity that you see on screen leading up to that fight were as genuine as could be. And I don't hate people. I, it's not a thing for me. I don't. I barely dislike people. I'm a pretty, a pretty nice guy. I'm hard-headed, but I, I keep it real, and I, I like most just about everyone, even people you really shouldn't. I, my nature is to try to see the good in people. I did not like Josh Burns at all. And what happened in my last fight was Josh fought in the main event, and uh, and I was there ringside for it because I wanted to see this man get beaten into a bloody pole. And I stood there and I watched that man get beaten to a bloody pulp, but I didn't feel like as good as I thought I was going to feel. I was trying to remind myself of the antics and all the shit that bothered me about this guy. Excuse my language. You're fine. But it just couldn't happen. I couldn't. All I was seeing was another man, another father, another husband getting beaten onto the same road, that dark road that I just barely made it off of. And that's all I could see. And so when he climbed out of that ring, I couldn't even, I had no idea what I was doing. I just started 
like running up to him and my manager's yelling my name like what do you do and i yell up and i go josh and he goes yep he, he knew it was me and he was ready for anything now I, we talked but i went up and i just i didn't even know what i was doing i just went up and i checked on him I'm like you, you okay man and he's like yeah the guy hits like a truck he was so deformed looking beaten up and uh, a couple little words back and forth and i walked walked him up to the doctor's and I go, all right, you, you should be good from here. And I went back home, flew back home, and and I went into my dark spell because I had lost that night. He didn't know I had lost also. Um, and it was a few weeks later that uh, he he went on some podcast, and at the end he gave the shout out to me. My phone was blowing up. Everyone's sending me the link, and he he I guess that meant so much to him what I did there that because he he said that was the lowest point he had ever been. He'd been a pro for twenty years, and that was his lowest point. I didn't. No, it was his lowest, but I recognized where he was there and I had nothing but, you know, my heart went out to him. And this was a guy I hated. Now he gave me the shout out and kind of apologized. And now we talk all day, every day. We have been best of friends now. I, I And um, I'll say it here because no one knows until now. Um, I'll be flying out to Detroit doing my whole camp with him and he doesn't corner people and he's going to be cornering me. He takes it as a reflection of yourself. And it's a risk you take cornering other people. And he's going to be out walking that ramp in my corner. And the last time we were on TV together, it was violence and hate. And so you want to talk about what you learned from a loss. That was the most humbling experience because as an adult, 32 years old, you shouldn't be hating people like like high schoolers. And and him also, it, it didn't feel right to us. And it was a God thing through and through that, you know, everything that happened strategically um, him losing, me coming, you know, all these things happen from losses, not from wins. If we both had kept on winning, we both would have kept going in the wrong direction that we didn't realize. Both of us losing simultaneously, it was the best thing that could have happened to both of us. And now we're teaming up, powers and numbers, man, and we're going to clean out our divisions and stay in our lanes. So all this good, and that's what got me out of bed. That's what got me out of my dark spell was him reaching out to me and saying, hey, man, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, this is what how I was feeling. This is how I feel now. And I'm like, I'm sorry too, man. Uh, 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 and then that that takes a big man to get to do. Oh, and yeah. so, uh, you know, for me, what people are going to see in the next fight when he comes out at my back and then I lay the best whooping I've ever laid on my opponent, it's going to make millions of people go home and question their own morals. And the, the, they everyone has a Josh Burns or a Chris Sorrow in their life that they can't stand. And they use us as examples of, whatever of how to be and it's like we're going to set an example and that's a mark i want to leave that for my son to get to know that the guy that beat his daddy who to my son i'm a superhero i like i was always the champ and so i didn't know really my son's nine years old how he felt inside about josh burns but he knew who he was and, and what he had done when i told him that now we are legitimate friends and show him videos josh sends you can see in my son's eyes like it makes him happy, you know, like yeah. he's his own narrative going on and that, you know, you don't know, but you could, that's what I want that the lessons that I get to pass on and teach from a loss is okay. Yes, I lost, but this is how you handle losing, you know, like a champ and so every champion in the world lost, you know, so. I know it's stretched on, but that, there's a lot the long winded answer. Yeah. That's a fantastic answer. And that that's phenomenal. And I, and I hope the listeners here, take that and take notes of it. Uh, we're, we've all been there. Um, and I love, uh, there's a lot of things in there, the little golden nuggets that you shared. And I think it's important, whether you're a fighter or not, you, you can relate to some degree 
um, to what Chris just said right there. That's uh, that's big time. And I want I want to see, his, heart, man. dude. I, I can tell too, and I and I appreciate that. And I look forward to your to your next fight. I look forward to seeing how you improve as a fighter, and then this whole narrative behind it with what you just shared there. Uh, it's going to be exciting, and I can't wait. So we, we look forward to hearing more about that in the in the future when when that gets posted. Yeah. But that's going to be awesome. Um, as we wrap it up, Chris, and we we've heard about your story. Uh, tell me the three biggest life lessons that you've learned through fighting. So it could even be just reiterating what you might have said. But what are the three yeah. biggest lessons you've learned through fighting that our listeners, whether they're young or older, uh, can take with them? Yeah. Well, I've learned. Uh... As for being successful in anything, but my experiences with is boxing, combat sports in general, consistency. Without consistency, everything will fail you. And right down to showing up for your job every day, like Althea. <laughs> Hello. Uh, showing up to work every day, not missing a beat, doing your absolute best. Now, life gets in the way. But being consistent with whatever you do success will come from it or success will come in another form, but uh, you will fail if you can't be consistent at whatever you're trying to be good at. Um, the integrity and character that you gain from this sport in general, I can only speak for this sport, is I would have never learned any of this in any other walk of life. I would have never had changes to my morale, uh, improvements to my character in any other job. Now, other people can get that from other walks of life, but my personal, the way I was going to learn these lessons apparently is through this sport and through combat sports in general. And then just the honesty. I learned that in this sport, being genuine and being honest, like me talking with you right now, I held nothing back. And, and, and I want people, if for the small window that I ha have this platform that I can share with people and tell my story, I don't want to look back on it and be like, why did you filter yourself? Why did you keep this back? I, you know, obviously, you know, you got to have some filter. I'm not going to tell you, you know, what I ate for breakfast this morning. It's like, but I don't want that uh, honesty and being genuine. I've always been a genuine person, but I learned the importance of that tenfold through this, you know, being genuine. Josh and I being genuine with each other cut out a lot of bull, bull crap, you know, and we could have held on to being, oh, I'm angry. That's not genuine. That's not honest, you know, and so those are probably the three biggest things is integrity, consistency, and honesty. They happen to all end in why I got lucky there, but but I'm not trying to be like an inspirational speaker, but those are the three probably biggest things, you know, uh, that are pretty broad that I've taken from this sport, and it saved my life. It saved my life. This this whole experience has and, it, and uh, it's made it a pretty beautiful experience. Good, the highest of highs, lowest of lows, peaks and valleys. I wouldn't change a thing, man. Wouldn't change a thing. I, I dig that, man. And I truly appreciate the the openness that you've shared here on the podcast. Um, and I love that you said peaks and valleys. You know, as a coach, I coach basketball and I talk to the kids. They're 16-year-old kids. And I'm always telling them peaks and valleys. You're going to have highs and lows. But that's there's that whole saying. But if you don't have that, like if a heartbeat doesn't have that, it's a flat line. And what flat lines mean is that you're dead. And so you got to have those, you got to have the peaks and valleys to keep yourself going. And, um, and mm -hmm. it's, it's obvious that it has helped you in many ways, the peaks and the valleys. So, um, super, super awesome interview, Chris. I look forward to, you know, following you more and communicating with you more outside of the podcast and, and just, you know, cheering you on, continuing to see how you progress as a fighter. But, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story thank with you. us, man. And, uh, I look forward to seeing what you got going on, brother. So, so thank, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I'll see you guys. 
Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.